have I got my, oh, there we go. Uh, we're going to be looking at a chapter today about a, uh, a man, the Apostle Paul, who aligned his actions with his words. And I think about Jazz as that man. I often will call him, say, what's up? And he's like, oh, Matt, hold on. Uh, I got a kid in my room. Um, I'm going to talk to him. And then I call him back later. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's actually... The kid had a lot going on in his life. Parents were going through a divorce. And there's Jazz putting away everything that he has to do in order to be present with the student to uh, show the, the gospel right there. And so, uh, Jazz, I look to you on how to be a better high school pastor. So thank you, Jazz. Um, so I'm going to invite up Bill McPhee, uh, another gift to our church community, who's going to read our scripture for us. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be in part of it. And then uh, next week we'll get the rest of it from Todd. Um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. And this is how the early church often heard the scriptures. And in our day and age, in a day of distraction, listening is sometimes difficult. So follow along. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to our food and drink? Do we not have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who at any time pays the expenses of doing military service? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not get any of its milk? Do I say this on human authority? Does not the law also say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Or does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was indeed written for our sake. For whoever plows should plow in hope, and whoever threshes should thresh in hope of a share in the crop. If we have sown spiritual good among you, is it too much if we reap your material benefits? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we still more? Nevertheless... We have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is sacrificed on the altar. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am am I writing this so that they may be applied in my case. Indeed, I would rather die than that. No one will deprive me of my ground for boasting. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel." For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use 
of my rights in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope you appreciated all the rhetoric that was in that passage. 16 questions, uh, there are 18 verses. 16 questions. Paul here is uh, being very intentional, strategic with what he's doing and laying out an argument. And so we have the privilege of diving into that and seeing kind of what he's doing. Uh, But first, let me start with the story. Uh, So in January, I get a phone call from a friend who says, hey, let's Let's train for a marathon, a half marathon, half marathon, I should qualify that, uh, half marathon, and uh, go running in April. We're both dads of one-year-old boys, and, you know, the love handles start kind of getting a little wider, and so the dad bod kind of goes out. It doesn't really go in, and so we're like, okay, let's train for this. This will be really good, so we train. We're, he lives in the valley. I'm here in Lomita, so we um, don't get to run together training, but we keep encouraging each other, and I'm training hard. I'm running through the hills of PV. I'm like, I'm feeling good, you know? And so I'm like, okay, we're in this together. Race day comes. I'm feeling super good. We're off. I can tell he's kind of struggling a little bit. I'm like, man, this is a bummer. Like, because I had this hope of like hitting two, under two hours. Like, that was my goal is to get half marathon to finish under two hour mark. And uh, so I'm, I know Katie Latch, it's really slow, but I, so yeah. Where are you, Katie? Katie? I saw you. Oh, there you are, Katie. Katie. Katie was like the first woman marathon runner ever. I don't know. Yeah, she's amazing. Sponsored by Nike. She's incredible. Uh, anyway, so Katie runs circles around me as I'm like running this way. Uh, so anyway, I digress. But uh, so I'm feeling good in the race. My buddy, I can tell, struggling. And I don't know if you ever had this moment where you're like, you agreed on something with somebody, and then all of a sudden the person's like, just does, goes rogue on you, and this does their own thing. That's what I did. I basically, I'm like, I'm out of here. And I just picked up the pace, and I like took off, you know? I'm like, forget what we said. Like, I'm going to make sure I get under two hours. So I start passing people. I'm feeling so good about my decision, you know? And uh, I get around like 100 yards out. Uh, Tara, my wife, and my son, Sterling, are there, and with uh, my buddy's wife and, and their one-year-old. And I see the finish line, and I know I'm going to make under two hours. I was like at 154. And I'm like, I had this thought just kind of cross my mind of like, hey, you should stop and wait. You know you're going to, you would make it if you just kept going, but just stop and wait, you know, and then you guys can finish together. And then you both could grab your kids, and like, that'd be so cool, all four of us together crossing the finish line. Nah. I'm going to go. So then I just kept on going. 155. I was like, yeah, I'm feeling so good. I beat my, you know, my goal. And then I saw him finish at like two hours and one minute. And I was like, sure, glad I didn't wait. I wouldn't have got my goal. No, but, uh, but in reality, I, I, the Lord brought that to my mind this week because I was thinking, you know, I actually wonder now if I missed out on something even better than hitting my own goal. I wonder if I would have waited if there had been a moment of crossing the finish line with both of us, with our sons. There had been something there that far surpassed even my own, like hitting my own goal. Not like hitting my own goal was, is something wrong. It's fine. But I think oftentimes in life, God gives us moments of saying, you can do that. You're free to do that. But I have something else for you if you choose it. And then sometimes we do. And we experience, I think, the fullness of what God's economy, so to speak, looks like. And then oftentimes we don't, and that's okay. But then we learn, okay, our eyes are kind of tuned into these moments that often pop up. And so I think these happen all the time for us. Maybe it's like times you're in the checkout, and it's like, hey, just buy that person groceries behind you. you know? And then you just you do it. And they're like little acts of generosity. But, so small moments, but I also think these happen on large-scale moments as well. 
big moments where we have opportunities to step into something that's so much greater than just maybe our own ambition in life or what we want to accomplish. And see, what we're going to see today is the Apostle Paul, first and foremost, is living embodiment of a gospel-ordered world. It's a gospel-ordered world. As uh, Todd hit on last week, love is, is what builds up. And this is the primary focus of the Apostle Paul, is embodying the love of Christ that builds up the whole community. See, Paul's after uh, the community, and including us, because uh, the scripture speaks to us today. Uh, he's after our allegiance to Jesus and no one else. He's reminding us that Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel. The, the gospel is the declaring the reality, the good news, that Jesus is Lord and no one else. And so therefore, align your life. Order your life in such a way that reflects that. Order your life in a way that your allegiance is to Jesus. Now, allegiance to other things are good. We have allegiance to fraternities, sororities, you know, political parties, baseball. You know, I'm a huge Dodger fan. All that is, those are good things. But it all has to come underneath the lordship of Jesus, first and foremost. And so what the Apostle Paul is embodying here and reminding us here is that we have to embody a, um, a life that is ordered by the gospel, by the gospel first, okay? So, um, Second of all, let me jump your attention here to, to uh, 1 Corinthians 1.9, where it says here, Paul goes with his first question, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Let's stop there. This is my defense to those who would examine me. There's something going on here, right? And so Paul is writing to the church in response to things that were going on. Uh, actually, um, they were questioning his apostleship, the kind of authority that he had as an apostle. And so then he's laying out, well, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? I've seen Jesus our Lord. So all these questions are meant to say, well, yes, and yes, and yes, of course, Paul, of course, Paul. So what are you getting at, you right? And what Paul is doing, as what we will see later on, you know, I, mean, I can jump down here. If you follow me uh, in verse 8, or sorry, verse 6, it says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Now that phrase is key, working for a living. See, there are four ways, common ways in this time to, for an uh, apostle or like a philosopher, a, a wisdom person who expound wisdom teaching, to have an income and make money and survive. Uh, one way was to pay people, or sorry, to charge people to come to hear their, you know, excellent wisdom that they would uh, expound to others. Okay, like charging a ticket. Um, so that was one way. Another way was to be on the financial payroll of a very wealthy patron who could afford, um, you know, to have the philosopher or apostle come in their, be a part of their home, and then they would teach their kids. But then also, you know, invite friends over, have party, dinner guests over, and, and they would function in a way of, you know, teaching their friends and, and expounding wisdom that way. And so then the, the philosopher would get uh, his earning that way. Uh, another one was a, a way of begging on the street, and the cynics were most known for this. Uh, the cynics, it wasn't a popular method, but it was one that uh, paid for a living. So you'd be on the street expounding your wisdom, you know, and then uh, people would pay you. You'd beg for it. Uh, and the last one is you actually work for yourself. You're a day laborer. 
Now, this isn't like an entrepreneur, right? This is far from like what we probably think of today as like, ah, he's going to work for himself. Good for him, Paul. You know, he's going to go blaze trails. Uh, No, this is actually a way of kind of moving down the the ladder, so to speak, of a career move, you know, in order to to work to sustain himself and his living. But what we're going to see is this is an intentional move by Paul for a reason. But what I want to highlight to you in the context of this reality is Paul is doing it strategically because something's going on in the context of the church where the Apostle Paul is seeing that if he were to receive money from the Corinthian church, it actually would hinder his ability to proclaim the gospel in a way. It would actually hinder the functioning of the kingdom, the gospel reality of what love building up in the community looks like. And so he chooses not to accept it because he sees something going on there. Uh, and in fact, commentators are quick to point out that they're probably like the, the old way of living that some of these wealthier Corinthians were used to, that they could kind of pay their way to, to get things. Uh, that was creeping back in. And Paul was saying, no, wait a second, that stuff, that knowledge, that you're, that's just going to puff you up and that's just going to divide us versus the love that is actually generous, that builds out for everybody and builds us together. And so the Apostle Paul actually chooses to work in this fourth kind of category, which is very undesirable. But he chooses to do that. And in fact, we would say he's aligning himself with the weak, uh, the weak of the community, in order so the gospel can be proclaimed more fully. It's just like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when... Um, Paul declares that the cross is foolishness to those who are wise of this world. See, it's like the, the fact that the cross doesn't always make sense in often our worldly logic. But for the Apostle Paul, he's embodying the very nature of the gospel. And so he's showing them that, you know what, I'm going to make my life match my words. I'm not just going to be an apostle who preaches but I'm also going to be an apostle who aligns my life with that. And so he does that. And what's interesting about that is uh, he does something that I always love this. When social science comes out and talks about a great leadership principle called Modeling the Way. Uh, there's a book called The Leadership Challenge. And this is actually one of our books in our internship program that we're taking our leaders through. And the authors, the very first principle or practice that they say great leaders do well so that their organizations can thrive and do extraordinary things, the very first thing they say is model the way. You have to model the way as a leader. If you're going to function well as a community, as an organization, you have to model. You have to align your words and your actions. Because isn't it true, when you have a leader you're following and they're Words say one thing, and then their actions do something different. Mistrust, right? I'm not going to trust you anymore. You're not a person of your word. Um, this kind of comes to home a little bit for me now as a father of a 16-month-out now son. And in fact, recently this week, Sterling is starting to model my behavior more. So i got to be very careful. In fact, now his thing that he does, uh, he goes and picks up the dog dish and walks over to where the dog food is. And stands there and goes, dun, 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 you know, and he wants to like to feed the dog. And then so then we go in there and I help him scoop the kibble into the thing. And then he walks back over to where the dog thing is. And then he sits like this and just sits there. And then he waits for the dog to come and eats his food, you know, and then he goes like that and starts clapping, you know. But he's like modeling what he's seeing me do. And I'm like, oh, man, now I really got to watch what I say and what I'm doing, right? Because I have eyes on me. But again, it's like such a good reminder of 
If I'm going to be a parent, I, you know, like, a, like good parenting is modeling, right? I mean, isn't it true? And the way coaching is and the way teaching is, like everything in life is we catch things, right? We, 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 we learn through catching them more so than just being taught is we learn through the life. And that's what's so beautiful about Sunday morning gathering, by the way, is that we come back together as a church. We've been scattered our different places throughout the week, and we come back together and are sharpened by one another and our lives together for the gospel. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's saying, in chapter 8, you guys, I told you to give up your rights to eating meat. So I'm not just going to tell you, hey, you should be the one that sacrifices while I don't. The Apostle Paul is laying out his defense here for giving credibility to why they need to do that. And he's saying, I'm with you in this. I'm with you. And this is how I'm also giving up something that I could do, which is good, but I'm actually doing it also for something better. And that's what I'm calling you guys to do, church, to do something, to give up your right to eating meat, but do it for the weak brother. I have done the same thing as well. And Paul will go on to say, follow me, church, as I follow Christ. So what did Christ do? What did Jesus do? Philippians chapter 2, one of the most beautiful texts we have. It's the earliest text, one of the earliest texts we have in the New Testament. Uh, it's called a hymn to Christ. And it goes like this. It's just after the beginning of chapter 2, it says, uh, who, although Christ, Jesus, was um, equal with God, he did not consider his position or his equality with God something to be exploited for his own gain or his own privilege. Instead, he humbled himself to become a, a human servant humbled himself then to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this hymn works like, here's Jesus in the throne room of heaven, humbles himself to be a human, humbles himself to even to die, humbles himself to even die on a cross. It's this downward mobility that at a certain time in history, God is going to say, I'm going to go the full way to show you what love really looks like. And I see the Apostle Paul doing the same thing here. He's saying, Corinthians, this is a moment, not always that it will look like this, but this is a moment in time for our reality, with the gospel to be proclaimed, and the integrity of, our, of the gospel. We have to do this. And so he's saying, and this is what I'm doing. I am living this out. And so he's aligning himself as a, as a day laborer to work so that he is free, so to speak, from any potential harm uh, that might come about by receiving money. Now, again, I just want to quickly paraphrase or give some context again that this was for the Corinthian church. We know elsewhere in 2 Corinthians that Paul received support from other places. In Acts, other places he received support from churches. So this isn't a broad rule that he does everywhere. This is for the Corinthian church that he is doing specifically for. But modeling the way is so important. It's modeling these values that the Apostle Paul is calling to live in. In fact, it's not just modeling, right? Because there can be bad modeling that we do, right? And as an engineer, if you ever construct models, you know that you can have a bad model. Uh, so it's like, what is the integrity of that model? And what, in the leadership challenge, in an internship we're talking about is you have to embody values. Values are key. And at the River Church, one of the, our values for each Sunday morning, we talk about having a warm, authentic, substantive experience of Jesus in the kingdom, that's the values. And when we think about our Sunday service and we plan it and then we reflect on it, we say, was it warm? You know, is it authentic? 
Uh, and we want to live into that. Because if we're, as a staff, inviting our church into participating in that, then we ourselves have to live that. And uh, through Todd's leadership and Bill, we've been saying, hey, how are you guys showing this as a staff? How are you being authentic in your life? How are you expressing this warmth value that we want the whole church to rally around? So, so we're trying to embody that value uh, in order to create the culture that reflects the gospel. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. So as I say here in that second point, Paul, it's a gospel-ordered career. A gospel-ordered career. So the question for each of us is, how are we ordering our career? What values give substance to our career, our vocation that God has called us into? Is it ordered primarily by the gospel that Jesus is Lord, reflecting that that love of God is building up everyone? Or is it ordered by something else? See, if it's ordered by anything else, that's idolatry. But if it's ordered by the gospel, then you're right on track. And then thirdly, a gospel-ordered life. The Apostle Paul isn't somebody who just says one thing, does another, or even just, hey, this is my career, so I'm going to be good at my job, but maybe my personal life is something different. No, look at, look at you've got to catch this, right here in the very beginning in, in verse 2. If I'm not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. The Apostle Paul is deeply embedded with his community. He's saying, look it, you guys are maybe critiquing my very authority as an apostle. This hurts. And by the way, if you're critiquing me, you guys are the seal of my apostleship. So if I'm not an apostle, then what are you? He's showing his deep commitment to their life. And then jump down into verse 15. Start start in verse 12, actually, where he goes, Nevertheless, we have not made any use of this right, but have endured anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul is willing to endure anything. And in fact, we we know later in other letters that Paul endured beatings, persecutions, so many hardships. His life materially was often worse off because of the gospel. But he was going for something so much greater. So there are going to be moments in our life, I think, that we're called into uh, maybe times of generosity or times of aligning ourselves in certain ways that there will be a material deficit to our life. There will be hardship. Uh, But it's worth it. I think about James and Bray who are adopting kids. And it's not just all fun and roses, you know, like... Bringing two kids into your life as an adoption, to reintegrate as a family, that's hard. Or my own life, I think about when my, my grandparents passed away, I had a, de- uh, a dependent adult who was handicapped, and my parents brought him into our house to live with them. And I was a teenager, and I resisted it. I hated it. As a young kid, I, I thought, man, maybe like if my mom dies, or my dad dies, like my uncle's going to move in on my mom, and I don't want this, you know. And it was scary for me. And so I resisted it. But... But then my parents just lovingly worked through that with me and I was able to receive the greater reward because of their faithfulness to what God was doing in the midst of that. And so even in the midst of some challenges, God is at work. So what might he be calling you into or us into? And then lastly, look at verse 18 here. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. He, this is his reward, the proclamation of the gospel. 
I mean, that's his reward at the, at the end of the day. It, it's no monetary gain can, can be valued as seeing the gospel declared. And it's not just declared, but then that it's lived and embodied. And so Paul is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the Corinthians are being faithful to the gospel, to a love that builds up the whole community. And so when the weaker brothers and sisters were suffering, Paul aligned himself in a way for this moment so that the gospel can be declared. In fact, in Romans, Paul says, I would rather be accursed and separated from Christ forever than rather to see my people not know the salvation that God has for them. He's willing to take on that very curse himself. We think of Jesus who takes on the curse of sin, our curse, on the cross so that we might have eternal life, to know eternal life. And so, brothers and sisters, that's what we're invited into today. We're invited into the gospel reality, a reality that is always working together with our reality that we're living, our consciousness, so to speak, you know? It's like day-to-day you wake up and go to school, but there's this other reality going on. And so we need to attune our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the way the Spirit is working. So how do we discern this as a church? How do you discern this as a family, you know, as a person? How do you discern this? I think that's something for you to wrestle with and for us to wrestle with. But let me just give a couple guideposts and then let me share a couple stories to hopefully serve as illustrations. One, I think if the Spirit is working in your life that says something that may look like this, like what the Apostle Paul is doing, know that it's always going to be built towards love. It's the telos. It's the Greek fancy word for the end game. If, if, if God is doing something in your life, it's always going to be in the building up, not just uh, for you, but it's going to be also for others. Okay. Also, I think it's always discerned in community. We discern in community, saying, hey, will you pray with me over this? I've, maybe God is calling me into a new career that feels scary to me, because what it's going to do to my family, but I feel like this might be God's hand. Will you pray with me in it? Invite others into that discerning process of where you feel the Spirit's leading you in this. Um, a couple stories here. Uh, we were talking in the office this week about um, the documentary Emmanuel that came out this week, and a guy involved in our um, grounded group named Mike Wilt was one of the producers of the film. And if you don't, haven't seen it or don't know about it, Emmanuel is a documentary on the um, horrible shooting uh, of the victims, uh, Christian brothers and sisters who were in the Emmanuel AME Church in Charlottetown, um, South Carolina. And um, Charlottetown? That that's not right. Charleston. Thank you. Thank you. Tuntai. That's okay. Uh, you're so gracious, by the way, for not calling me out. That's good. Uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, where a man goes in and he shoots uh, nine um, African Americans. He's white. And it's full of hatred, right? And they invite him in, though. They don't know. He just, he's a guest. They invite him in to join their prayer. And then after about an hour of being there in prayer, he ends up killing uh, nine victims. And this documentary shows the power of forgiveness in the midst of that. The giving up, maybe, of the right that everyone else would say, you have the right to be angry and f- mad and, like, stick it to them. And they chose the gospel, that freedom... And see, this other thing Paul is saying is like, we think maybe that we're free by exercising our right, 
But actually what he's saying is there's like this reality that you actually become enslaved to that right by practicing it. So if you free yourself from, in the gospel by not exercising that, you are now truly free. And that's what he's doing. And what's also interesting is that one of the producers of the film chose not to be paid in this film. He said, I'm choosing not to collect an income on this film. Now, this was just for a moment, right? He's going to produce, he's going to make other movies, he's going to, he needs to make a living for himself and provide for his family. But in this moment, he felt God saying, don't collect an income. Somehow, he felt the Spirit saying, the gospel needs to be declared in such a way, and I don't want you to collect money from it. And he was obedient to what God was saying. Good, just a moment, but he discerned what the Spirit was saying. And lastly, I want to share a story. I was reading an article about a church in Philadelphia that said, you know, we want to live out the gospel reality. Uh, we want to be faithful to this love that builds up the whole community. And in their church, in their problem, there was a, an issue with credit card debt and some members who were kind of suffering from credit card debt in real ways. And people got into debt for all different reasons, but primarily uh, their focus was not necessarily on... Um, solving all the wrong things that happened to get him there. It was how do we make you whole and how do we move forward? And so with complete transparency, they invited people in. They had to share their, their records, their uh, financial transactions for three years. But then the group came together and said, we're going to tithe money and give money to help pay off this debt. And that was what their community did for people in their church who were suffering uh, from living out that full life that God had for them. And so that was intentional on some of these members' parts. I mean, they could have saved money for other things. And there's not, nothing wrong to put money in your traveling account, you know, or the new guitar or new golf club account. That's fine. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, I have something that I want to do in your midst for the power of the gospel to be proclaimed, because it's not about you, it's about what I want to do in the world, and declaring the kingdom, we need to respond faithfully. So River Church, what's God saying to us this morning? What's God saying to you? What ways is God might be calling us to align ourselves with the weaker brothers and sisters in order for the gospel to be proclaimed? In ways in which our allegiance can be totally on Jesus and nothing else. God is among us and he's active and he's alive. And we get to live into that. And that is a beautiful thing. Let's pray. God, we build our hope on you. We look to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross, scorning its shame. And God, there'll be times in our lives where we have to endure a cross, endure the shame that might come in being obedient to you, being faithful to you. But God, we look to the cross, we look to a communion that we get to participate in and know that in that brokenness, God, this beautiful kind of broken that you raise up a community that declares the new reality of your kingdom, that Jesus is Lord and that we get to live in that and that is exciting. And God, if there's anyone here today who for the first time needs to say, I want to make that my pledge, I want to pledge my allegiance to Jesus above all else. God, may they do so at this moment. 
And for Father, some of us maybe who have wandered and need to come back and know the power of knowing you, Jesus. God, knowing you is the greatest thing we could ever hope for in this world. So I pray this this morning that we might come back and declare that afresh so that we can go out and live lives faithfully for you, that declare the gospel in everything that we do. It's all for your glory, Jesus. Amen.